Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. I am reading scripture this morning from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. If you want to join along in your pew Bibles, it is on page 4. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Grace. Uh, obviously, we're looking at salt and light this morning, and uh, to uh, enter into that, I want us to look at the exciting world of metaphors. I can see the excitement on your faces right now. Everybody going, what? Yeah, English class. When we describe something by taking a word or a phrase and applying it to something which it is not literally ap- applicable to, that's called a metaphor. Everybody got that? You take something and you say, uh, my life is like this book. The book becomes the metaphor. You know, there are lots of pages in it, different tunes for different days and different times and experiences, and different days, different descriptions. I could say that that's a metaphor. So if uh, uh, you, someone says, well, you just used a mixed metaphor, it means you used two different metaphors at the same time. And uh, oftentimes we make fun of people when they do that. But it would be like a coach. A football coach who says, you know, um, before the game even started, the writing was on the wall. Well, there wasn't any writing on the wall. He's saying that meaning it was already determined. We knew what was going to happen. You know, it was like apples and oranges out there. Meaning, you know, the two teams just weren't the same. They weren't equal. And, uh, and we weren't playing on a level playing field. Well, it may have been a level playing field literally, but he's saying it just seemed like they were always running downhill and picking up speed on us kind of thing. So we he- use metaphors all the time in our lives, and we, and we do make fun of people when, when they, they just go to town using a bunch of metaphors and mixing them up. Now, Jesus in today's scripture has no fear of using mixed metaphors. He uses salt which is a material thing, and he uses light, which is energy. In Matthew 5, 13, 16, he says we are salt and light. Now, I look around this morning. I don't see anybody who looks like they're a pillar of salt, and I don't see anybody who looks like they're flaming with light. Nobody's glowing here. But using these metaphors he's able to translate to the people something which they would be familiar with uh, the salt thing wouldn't work as well in today's world because all we know is that you you know we sprinkle salt on our food but back in the day of Jesus roman soldiers were p- paid a salary which uh, salarium from the latin is where we get the word salary that first s a l 
and it was the word for salt. So why was the money that we were paid, why was it derived from the word from salt, for salt? Because a Roman soldier was paid enough to ensure that they could purchase enough salt. Because salt did what? Salt preserved food. It gave flavor to food, savor to food, sometimes to cover up the bad taste of food. Did you know that's the, that's the history of ketchup? Ketchup was just meats and things were so bad back in the 1800s in this country, people were making ketchup just to pour it onto the meat so they didn't have to taste the bad meat. And all too. So salt had value for the flavor, but also the preservative uh, 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 properties that it had. Also, if you salted a town, it meant once a town was wiped out by an army, sometimes to punish the people even more, the survivors, they would spread salt all over it so that the ground could not grow anything anymore. Or if salt went bad, they might go out and, sp- and, and pour it onto the roads so that the weeds and the grass wouldn't grow up in the roadways to keep them clear. We sometimes put salt out here. We used to. They call it literally salt. We still say we salt the roads, but we're putting down some chemicals and all. The same idea is when we salt the roads in the winter is so the ice will melt and all too. So salt has a lot of things to make it valuable. But when it comes to us, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the world, what is he referring to? And he's saying that the message that we are bringing to the world comes from God and is unique. It has to come from God. It can't come from within ourselves. Our bodies do not generate salt. We take salt in. Salt, we couldn't survive without salt. It allows our, our, our blood system to function normally. It allows us to retain water. And so all living life requires salt. But the salt that we are is the salt of the gospel. It comes only from God so that we can share that salt with the world, that that unique and essential uh, message. Without that salt, humanity remains dead in its sins. In the same way, we are dependent on light to find our way in the darkness. Wouldn't it be great if our eyes had an LED attachment, you know, a little flashlight thing you could flick on and off? That would be a great addition to humanity. If I had been there at the beginning in, in the creation, I would say, God... Please equip us with little LED lights somewhere up here that we could just flick them on. Uh, When we're in absolute darkness, we stumble and we fall and we can't find our way to our destination. So Jesus is saying when he says, you are the light of the world, what he is saying is, you carry the light of the gospel that again comes only from God. And it's not something that is inherent in in man. And woman, it is something that comes from God alone. That light comes only through God. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. No man comes to the Father except through me because you can't find that light anywhere else except through Jesus. And Jesus has said to us, you're going to be that light. My light will shine through you. Now, being salt and light means that there's got to be something different about us, right? If we're living the Christian life, if light is shining through us, if, if we have that saltiness, that, that savory salt in us, there's going to be a difference in our life. But it's not enough to be different. We have to make a difference, Jesus says. There are always going to be people who will walk away from the church because they just don't see that the church is any different from anything else in their lives. Years ago when Mahatma Gandhi was the spiritual leader in India... He was asked by some Christian missionaries, what is the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? 
And Gandhi had one simple word to answer them. He said, Christians. Christians. He was saying that sometimes it's difficult to distinguish Christians from the rest of the world, to see the salt and the light in them. Too often Christians appear in the world as people who are content to ignore the poor and the suffering, even though we are called to serve the poor and the suffering. Who are just as miserable and worried as anyone who doesn't know Jesus. If you ever know, know somebody who belonged to the church who was all the time that very negative person, always complaining, whining, uh, uh, life was never good, they always had problems, and everywhere they looked around them, they also could identify cleanly. Their gift was to identify the problems that other people had. You know, uh, she gossips. Didn't mean to point this way, but, you know, she, <laughs> you know, he, he just thinks so much of himself. I don't like that preacher. His, his sermons are too long and they're full of nothing and hot air. You know, that you find those people, and too often people look at the church and they, they see that. And what they fail to see is that life-giving salt and light that Jesus Christ says is supposed to be in us. Now, Jesus wasn't as pessimistic as Gandhi in that one-word answer. His confidence, the confidence of Jesus, is amazing considering that his followers were mostly the meek and the lowly. Imagine the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine those crowds spread out over that hillside. He's looking out over them saying, you are the salt and the light. And what he's looking at out on people who are poor and downtrodden, people who are illiterate and uneducated, But he looks out upon them and he sees their faith. And Jesus knew that salt and light pour out of people who have faith. That's the key. Knew that all it would take would be a mustard seed of faith to move a mountain. And, and And he says that's who we are. That's who you and I are. That we are salt and light and mountain movers. My favorite cartoon character growing up was Popeye the Sailor Man. And the thing about Popeye was, he knew who he was. He told you every cartoon who he was. I remember uh, growing up, uh, we took, you know, the little theme song of Popeye. I'm Popeye the sailor man. I live in, this is how we sing it. I live in the garbage can. I eat all the worms and spit out the germs. I'm Popeye the sailor man. Now, if you ask me anything I learned in elementary school, I couldn't answer you anything, but I can tell you that now from memory. I can tell you what my dad said about being in the Marines. The Army gets the gravy, the Navy gets the beans. But who gets the pretty girls? The United States Marines. That stuff sticks with you. If you remember Popeye from, say, 60 years ago when I was first watching Popeye and, and it was black and white and everything, I, uh, in a second, I'm going to just have a little clip, just a little short clip of him singing. And there's several things I want you to notice about this little clip. Go ahead with that, Doug. Popeye the Sailor Man, I Popeye the Sailor Man, I am what I am and that's all what I am, I Popeye the Sailor Man. Okay, a couple of things about that. Popeye always had that chest out when he sang that song. He was proud, he knew who he was. He would say, I am what I am, that's all what I am. And you know, have you ever... Put that together with Exodus 3. What, what does God say when Moses says, what's your name? I want to know who you are. What does God say? I am. I am what I am. I am that I am. That I am, he says. 
He actually says it twice. I am that I am. And I always wondered, not from when I was five, but later on in life, as I thought about that song, I wondered, did they steal the Popeye theme from Exodus 3? Did he get that idea? But there's something very valuable in that. Uh, One thing is, the role of a woman in life is to row the boat while the man stands up telling the world who he is, how proud he is. No, that, you know, it's so funny to see that, to see Olive there just working away and he's up puffing his chest out and singing, this is who I am. But you know, it's important for us in life to know who we are, to know that God has made us to be somebody and who we are, Jesus says, we are salt and we are light. Jesus has put us on, uh, on, on this earth, God has put us on this earth, not to blend in, but to stand out and to save it. We are here for the sake of the world, just as Jesus said, He came to seek and to save the lost in this world. We are salt and we are light. With maybe a little spinach thrown in. In my first appointment as a pastor, the bishop thought so much of my abilities that he gave me not one church, not two, but three churches. I mean, I thought, well, he must have a lot of confidence in me that I can handle three churches. Then later on you find out. I was very naive about the United Methodist Church. I was fairly new to it. I didn't know how things work. Later on I found out, no, the less experience you have and the less confidence he has in you, the more churches he's going to give you, especially little churches that are struggling just to survive. I remember at one of those uh, churches uh, back in uh, around the year 2000, after I'd been there a couple years, I had a lay leader who seemed totally disinterested in that church ever growing. Everything that was proposed that would help the church grow. For instance, why don't we have worship every week instead of every other week? There are people out there, if they belong to the church, they would like to have the opportunity to worship every week. But no, we can't do that. Why don't we reconnect the plumbing in the kitchen so we could actually have some meals in the fellowship hall? No, My wife and I were opposed to the building of that fellowship hall 50 years ago. And as long as I'm lay leader, it's not going to be used. Why don't we sponsor a Cub Scout pack? And I couldn't figure out what he was, why he was so angry about a Cub Scout pack. I believed in scouting. And when the Cub Scout pack started meeting there and we had Scout Sunday and the Cub Scouts showed up, there were African American kids in the Cub Scout pack. And I realized this is why he didn't want that. Very upset. So finally I asked him after a couple of years, I said, I said, tell me, why does the church exist? For you. What is the mission of this church? What is the purpose? Why do you want to see this church here? Because he had no interest in any visitor ever darkening the doors of that church. And he said, all I want is for this church to be around the day I die for my funeral and for my burial in the church cemetery. That's all he cared, that the church survived long enough for his burial. What, what a mission statement for a church. you imagine if we had in our bulletins and up, up on a sign it said, our mission is to bury all our members. <laughs> Some pastors would like to do that in mass one time, you know. But, you know, what if, what if that was it? A self-centered, a self-serving church is not salt and light to the world. A church focused on death and not life is not salt and life to the world. A church that is thrown in, in the towel 
And given up on bringing neighbors to Christ is not salt and light to the world. A church that is too hung up on its fears and prejudices and traditions to share the gospel is not salt and light to the world. Until we love the world as God loves the world, we will not be salt and light. Salt that stays in the shaker is useless. Eventually it loses its savor, its power. Uh, Just as salt needs to come in contact with your food to make a difference, we have to make contact with the outside world in order for the gospel to make a difference in other people's lives. We need to uh, to, to know and to love the people God has placed around us, our neighbors, our classmates, our cousins, our co-workers. We need to love our corner of the world enough to change it, renew it, nurture it, and serve it. I was visiting with someone yesterday and uh, their son-in-law happened to be there and uh, I had never met him. And so we talked for a minute and, and almost right away he said, you know, people are terrible. People in this world today are just pitiful. And he went on and ragged down on the, on the people and everything. And I said, I said, you know, I can agree with you in some ways about that. There's a, there's a lot of people out there have a lot of problems. A lot of people out there are pretty sour and hard to deal with. This was out of his business experience, why he had gotten out of business. He just couldn't deal with the people anymore. But the wonderful thing is that God has given us a way to see the world that we can see the world in a, in, in a very different way. We can come along and there's this terrible person. And God says, sprinkle a little salt in there. Shine a little light in there. Maybe it'll make a difference. Maybe once you start to share this, this person who has so soured on the world, named Neil, he he, 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 he could be he could find salvation. He could find a way out of that trap, that that, that pit that he's in. When Jesus uh, prayed the night before he died on the cross, he assured his Father, as you sent me into the world, so I send them, my followers, into the world. Jesus was saying, you sent me into the world for a specific purpose. It was to seek and save the lost. And I am sending my followers out into the world with that same purpose. Yes, they may be a fumbling, stumbling, ragtag band of followers. But I will shake the salt shaker and switch on the light so that the world will know the truth through them. You may say you've tried to change others, but no one has ever listened. You you may say you've given up on sharing the gospel because nobody seemed to care. About 800 years ago, an unknown monk reflected on his own frustrating efforts to change the world and those around him. He wrote, When I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it was difficult to change the world, so I tried to change my nation. When I found I couldn't change the nation, I began to focus on my town. I couldn't change the town, and as an older man, I tried to change, change my family. Now, as a very old man, I realize the only thing I can change is myself. And suddenly I realized that if long ago I had changed myself, I could have made an impact on my family, and my family could have made an impact on our town, and their impact could have changed the nation, and I, indeed, could have changed the world. Folks, Jesus is talking to you this morning. Forget about trying to change your family and all those terrible people out there or your community or the world. First, ask Jesus to change you. To change you into life-giving salt and light. On this first Sunday of Lent, as we come to the Lord's table, we repent of those times when our salt remains in the shaker and when our light remains under the bushel basket. 
We come committing ourselves to spending time with Christ, allowing Him to melt our hearts, to mold and make us into life-giving salt and light. As Paul tells us in Philippians 3.10, may we long to know Jesus more and in knowing Him become more and more like Him. Did you know uh, that the light on the planet Pluto is as bright as the light on the earth at twilight? It'd be a dim world to live in, wouldn't it? Just a little bit of light. And the difference between Pluto and the earth, the reason that the light is dimmer, it's very simple. You don't have to be brilliant to know this. It's because Pluto is further away. Folks, if you want the light of Jesus Christ to shine through you, you've got to move closer to Jesus. You've got to begin to spend time with Him. Then His light will be absorbed and reflected in your life. But not until we come to know Jesus can that happen. Who are we? Who does Jesus say we are? We are light of the world and we are we are salt. And as Popeye would say, that's all that we am. That's all that we am. May that be true in our lives this day, folks, as we come to the Lord's table. Hear His invitation to come and to know Him. And amen.